Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, August 12th, 2021. Years ago, I worked in the world of video production, and some of the most exciting productions were when we got to shut down a street to shoot an important scene. We would go through the proper channels, fill out the right paperwork, and then pay for a permit. The governing officials that gave us that permit, well, it was as good as them standing there saying, these guys are okay. They're allowed to shoot here. Depending on where we were shooting, it could really disrupt people's days. I mean, we were a real convenience to everyone who needed to use a street that we were blocking or something like that. Those days were always empowering because no matter how angry anyone got with us, we knew that we had every right to be there, no matter what the onlooker said. We could work in confidence that we had the city or county behind us to have our backs if necessary. Isn't that how we should feel about doing the work of the Lord? I mean, think about it. We have the sovereign God of the universe giving us an assignment, stamping our permit, as it were, to do the work that he has asked us to finish. When others are offended or inconvenienced by the work he's called us to, shouldn't we have the same confidence that I did on the street corner of my insignificant video shoot? I think that's really, exactly the type of confidence that Nehemiah had. And we're going to see that on display in big ways today as we dive back into our Old Testament reading today in Nehemiah chapters 4, 5, and 6. Chapter 4 begins with the taunts of our old friend Sanballat. Nehemiah responds with a prayer rather than hostility toward his enemies. And then he says, and I'm paraphrasing, keep building, boys. So Sanballat and his boys, they're angry. Who does this Nehemiah guy think that he is? And they begin to plot to confuse and disrupt the plans of Nehemiah and all of the people that are helping him to build. But then again, in verse nine, it says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Nehemiah and his crew respond in prayer once again. And it's important to note that not only was Nehemiah threatened by Sanballat and his crew with a possible night attack in which they might be killed in verse 11, but family and friends now plead with the men working on the wall to leave and come home. So often, well-meaning friends and family will be used by the enemy to try and persuade us to stop the work of the Lord. They might say something like, this is too much work, or you're in too much danger. Let's remember this story. As the cost of Christianity increases in our culture, someday the work God calls you to might end in the loss of your job, the inability to make or spend money, or perhaps the loss of your life. And at that time, there will certainly be people, well-meaning Christians, who will say, stop the work you are doing. It is too dangerous. Come home and be safe, just like they were doing to Nehemiah and his guys. But we must continue to build God's kingdom, just as Nehemiah continues to build the wall in Jerusalem. Nehemiah trusts that the Lord has sent him to see this through, and the Lord will protect him. So Nehemiah sets people behind the wall, ready to physically defend Jerusalem from attack if necessary. But he charges them with this in verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And so they continue to work with half of the men watching guard. And we learn that they were spread out, leaving them vulnerable to attack. So Nehemiah develops a plan for someone to blow a trumpet, and at that sound, they will muster to the trumpeter. But even this is a reminder to trust the Lord. Nehemiah says after they muster, our God will fight for us. 
Now, in chapter 5, we learn that the Jewish people are frustrated by hunger through this whole situation, and it's made apparent that the building of the wall is hurting normal operations within the community that would allow them to keep up with the harvest and other tasks that would lead to flourishing. It appears that Nehemiah doesn't take this charge on defensively. Instead, he works to resolve it, and we learn that he is a governor with some power to do something. And even more so, we learn in greater detail the love Nehemiah has for his people and the sacrifice he is willing to endure for their gain. As a governor, he could abuse his power and take what he needed to be comfortable while his people suffered, but instead, he puts himself on the same level as them. Verse 18 says, Now, What was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on these people. It is easy for us to criticize our leaders, and honestly, it's not a hard argument to make uh, that they are worthy of criticism, but today I want us to think about our own responsibility and reflect on the authority that God has given us. Perhaps we're a parent, perhaps we're a boss, perhaps we're a ministry leader. Regardless of the authority or position God has given you, be sure to never think of yourself as better than those that you lead. As a matter of fact, the model Jesus gave us is that of servant leadership, meaning You are not to think of yourself as the chief leader of people, but rather the chief servant of people. And finally, in chapter 6, we see Sanballat and his crew taunting Nehemiah again. They're trying to get him to come meet with them to harm him, but Nehemiah doesn't give in to their threats. They continue slandering him, saying things that aren't even true of Nehemiah. And how does he respond? He doesn't get defensive and respond with rude or unkind talk. He doesn't threaten them with an attack on their character. He doesn't result to hostile name-calling or slander as well. No, he simply responds by saying, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. May this be a reminder for us that when we are misrepresented, slandered, and maligned, may we respond with calm assurance, not assurance in our ourselves or our reputation or our strength, but maybe cry out to God to strengthen my hands, Lord. And then Nehemiah is tempted to hide in the temple by this character, Shemaiah. Even this character who is supposed to be an ally to Nehemiah is trying to lure him into the temple to be killed. It's made clear that Shemaiah is paid as a spy by Sanballat. So Nehemiah is not being conspired against by his own people. So this must be where Nehemiah gets a weapon and goes and takes everyone out, right? He straps on ammo, puts black under his eyes, ties ribbons around his biceps, put on a bandana and goes out and destroys everyone. Is that how the story goes? Not quite. No, instead, Nehemiah cries out to God again. He says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Brothers and sisters, it's important to remember a few things in light of this reading today. First, you will be maligned. You will be misrepresented and attacked by this world. Second, you will be betrayed by so-called brothers and sisters in the faith. These things will happen. I urge you to prepare your heart now. You'll be tempted to say, how can this be? I'm doing the work of the Lord. So how could I possibly be reviled for this kind of work? But as we see from today's reading in Nehemiah, it does happen. But why? Ultimately, for God's glory. When we call out to him and ask him for help and he delivers, he is the one who is glorified. 
Remember your life, my life, everything we are doing is ultimately for God's glory. He is weaving a story that ends in his glory. And sometimes the plot points that we find ourselves are in are, are uncomfortable, but we must remain faithful to God to trust him through it all. That means we pray to him when we are in need. That means we stick to the mission, no matter the consequences. That means we listen to God's word far more than man's words. And in the end, we need to be encouraged by how this passage ends today. We read starting in chapter six, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 20, 25th day of the month, Elul in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And our reading in the Psalms today can serve as a prayer for this very situation. I want to read Psalm 94, 16 through 23, and just listen to these words. Listen to the promises embedded in this Psalm. The fact that although the wicked will oppress those who serve the Lord, God uses this very act to strengthen the righteous and shame the wicked. God is the only one with credentials to fight these battles. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Now, to believe these promises, we have to believe God is who he says he is. A few onlookers of Christ's ministry doubt his deity in the Gospels reading for today. We're in Luke eleven fourteen through 23. In this passage, Jesus heals a mute man by casting out a demon. The crowd begins to murmur, saying that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Satan. And I'm sure as we read this passage, our one eyebrow raises and we say, what in the world are they talking about? And then Jesus explains why this makes no sense. Of course it doesn't. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And I think we all naturally get this as we read this passage. But the real point is what Jesus unpacks next. Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God and destroying Satan's kingdom. Jesus is binding the strong man as he is the stronger. But then Jesus finishes with this statement in verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. God does not share his throne. There's only one God, and there is no one stronger than him. And Jesus is God. At the end of the day, everyone must make a choice. At the end of the day, you must make a choice. You're either with Jesus or against him. You either believe everything he says or none of it. You're either in complete submission to his authority in your life or you are rebellious. So we need to ask ourselves, are we living in complete obedience to his word? Not 25%, not 50%, not 75% of the time, but 100% of the time. And if we're looking for some specific applicable things that we can start doing today, our passage in Colossians 3, 1 through 11 offers an incredible list. Every time I read this list, I get pumped up to live in the newness of Christ. But I also get a tinge of conviction, auditing my heart and my mind to make sure that I'm walking worthy of the calling of Christ. Paul transitions from the focus of false teachers and their anti-gospel requests, and he's now going to shift and explain what we should focus on. I will read the first four verses. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What occupies your mind most of the time? Is your mind buried in the things of this world? Are you scrolling endlessly through social media? Are you spending too much time trying to figure out how to defeat the evils of the world? God is asking us to put our minds on higher things, things that are above. The false teachers of today will try to get us to focus on earthly solutions that look heavenly when God wants us to focus on Him and trust Him to lead the way. God's solutions are typically simple and require us to do less, not more. And we don't like that sometimes because we like to fix things. We like glory for ourselves. We like instant results. Paul continues in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. There is a problem with some who call themselves Christians today, especially when it comes to the list that I just read off. You see, We may have stopped sleeping around or participating in the physical sin involved in the listed categories that I just read, but so many have allowed these sins to be put on display right in their living room. And I plead with you to audit what you put on your television or on the screens in your home. Put to death what is earthly in you. Unfortunately, many have put these sins that I've listed off on a ventilator, not putting them to death, keeping them alive just enough to visit them a few times a week after the kids go to bed. And if this is you, please stop. The wrath of God is coming as Paul just warned us. And may we not be found consuming sinful acts in the name of entertainment. And Paul continues in verse seven with another list of things that we must put away. And these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul lists five more things here. And if you notice, they all have to do with how we interact socially with each other. I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. Do we interact with people in the spirit of our old self or are we interacting with others in the new self? It's important to note that when we put our trust in Christ, we are born again. We're regenerated as a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 states. What Paul is challenging us to do then is this. Make sure that we aren't behaving as hypocrites. But fortunately for us, Paul gives us the solution to living outwardly in alignment with the inward newness of Christ. He says that the new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If we think of our new self, for lack of a better analogy, as like an engine, We need to oil the engine with the Word of God. If you're in the Word of God daily, meditating on it day and night, then you're providing oil for your new engine to run the behavior of your life. We need to have a high view of Scripture. If we're going to have a high view of God, we must value the Word of God. The other day, my family was talking about the value of the Word of God. It started a great conversation about the value of our Bibles and what we would give up in order to keep our Bibles in our possession. I eventually told my children that if someone gave me a choice, let's just say someone came to my door and put a gun to my head and said, you can either give up all your possessions and keep your Bible or give up your Bible and keep all of your possessions. I would gladly give up everything to remain in possession of my Bible. Psalm 119.72 says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now that's an easy verse to read and nod our head to. But perhaps today we should ask ourselves, what would we give up to keep our Bible in our hands? 
I urge you to consider the value of the Bible in your possession. If it's worth giving up gold and silver to keep in your grasp, then it's certainly worth reading in exchange for sleep, entertainment, or anything else that would keep you from it tomorrow morning. Thanks for digging into God's words with me today on Revival from the Bible. Ben Blakey will be back on August 25th. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.